Natalie Gutierrez is a licensed marriage and family therapist working primarily with Black, Indigenous, people of color survivors of complex trauma, ranging from racial trauma, sexual trauma, attachment trauma, and intergenerational trauma carrying cultural and legacy burdens. Natalie is a certified internal family systems therapist and assistant trainer for internal family systems. Natalie's individual and group healing work blends the intersections of psychotherapy, activism, intuitive, and ancestral wisdom. She is a mother of two on the journey trying to break generational curses. I'm so excited for you all to hear this conversation with Natalie. She is so inspiring and truly, truly an embodied healer. The work that she's doing, bridging ancestral wisdom with modern psychotherapy and really her own personal work that she's doing and her healing and it is just so inspiring and this is what all therapists and healers should be doing and I feel that there's all too much of healers in the world who are broken themselves and not doing the inner work and so it shows and clients and patients are impacted as a result and so it's so refreshing to connect with a sister and I say a sister because I really felt like I had connected with a long lost sister in this conversation because Natalie is doing that and she's doing her own work and she's also sharing what she's learning and how she's tapping into this ancestral wisdom she's sharing that and guiding her clients and can you just imagine if all therapists were doing this and how what is possible it's just amazing and she really recognizes the importance and speaks to the need for social justice and change in addition to this inner work that we are all on this path of so i'm really excited to share this with you all we go down so many different little rabbit holes and it was so much fun and i love her playful and youthful energy she's just such a beautiful beautiful woman so i'm really honored to share this conversation with you all and i hope you enjoy the show as much as i did hello natalie welcome to the decolonizing healthcare podcast thank you for being here with us thank you for inviting me i'm so excited to be here thank you Yes. And I feel that um, just off the bat, you know, I would love to uh, ask you, what does it mean to decolonize? And what does it mean specifically to healthcare to you? You know, when I think of decolonizing, um, I'm thinking of how do we eradicate, how do we release the energy of colonialism? How do we release the impact of white supremacy culture on our bones, you know, from ourselves and our blood and our minds and our hearts and our spirits? How do we release all of the internalized messages that we have received from racist and oppressive systems? How do we release the definition of ourselves and how we even see ourselves that 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 we've inherited or that we've acquired from how these systems that are racist and oppressive have seen us have viewed us have defined us i think a lot of the time the way that we see ourselves 
and I'll speak for myself, but I know I'm not alone on this. When, when I see myself and I hear myself speak, it's like, ooh, I, I hear my accent. I hear that the, the Latina accent. It's like borderline New York Latina accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, you hear that and you say, ooh, I hear the accent. Um, it doesn't sound like white enough, right? Because mm. somehow we've learned that 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 whiteness and or lack of accent is synonymous with educated and anything less than is inferior right mm-hmm. it's it's deviant mm-hmm. and and that's that is part of that 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 message that we've inherited of of the many that comes from white supremacy culture that comes from you know culture that that is you know, very much still um, in colonial trauma, perpetuating colonial yeah. trauma. So that in a nutshell is how I see decolonizing. It is it is a ritual. It is a, a commitment. Mm-hmm. It is a journey, a lifelong journey of really reclaiming yourself in mm-hmm. all of the ways Oh, wow. I love that. I love that, that ritual practice, right? That it's, that it is like this, it sounds like what you're saying. It's, it is this practice of um, coming back to ourselves and, and remembering, you know, Mm -hmm. like the forgotten, um, you know, and, and not by any fault of, of any of us (laughs) really, but like you said, the things that we've inherited and, and how do we remember Oh, I love that. And, and can you share a little bit with, with us about the impact of colonization on you and your ancestors and um, just how that has shown up for you in this, in this life? Cause um, you know, we talk a lot about, and I've been talking a lot in, in some of the workshops that I've been teaching as you know ancestral trauma intergenerational trauma and and also you're a mental health provider so I would love for you to like share a little bit more of like what is the impact um on this because I've heard you know I hear a lot of people folks say well oh colonization like that happened you know hundreds of years Mm -hmm. ago and this and that right and so how can we yeah so let's hear like I would love to hear that from you and your experience with that so I can say personally, and I, I feel like I'm still learning how the impact of colonization in my lineage impacts me. It is still, I'm still peeling back those layers, mm-hmm. but I can tell you that something that feels really core for me is when things are taken, both the fear that things could be taken and the rage when things are taken. So, for example, um, when it comes to fear of things being taken, I, you know, I'm moving, I'm rematriating to Boriken this upcoming summer, right? Oh, wow. You don't know? Oh, oh my yes, God, yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> so, yeah. Whoa, okay. So it's Congrats. something that I've just really, thank you. It's something that I've just really been, mm. my soul has been calling for this. And I'm like, if every time I'm arriving on the island and I'm like, Whoop, 
Mm-hmm. And then when I leave, I'm in sobbing in tears. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I putting myself through so much grief? Right. You know, and I had to really sit with it. And, you know, because my I have a family, right? And so I, I also understand that moving to Puerto Rico is a very big deal in the mm-hmm. sense that there is less access to things than, mm-hmm. than there is access to where I'm at in, in New York in the moment, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Absolutely. Right? I was going to say, we, we definitely <laughs> need to talk about that. <laughs> that is a whole other thing because, you know, it, it's it's not okay for for anyone on the island or anywhere around the world to feel like they, they don't have access to basic needs, yeah. right? Like food yeah. and, and water and electricity and all that stuff. So, yeah. And also very, a whole nother topic and also very connected to this one, right? Very, very, like, very. <laughs> like a result. <laughs> I abs- mean, yeah. Directly. <laughs> Exhibit A, yeah. right, is, yeah. is the present colonization of Puerto Rico, right? Because mm-hmm. Puerto Rico is a colony of the U.S. and and the U.S. has exploited mm-hmm. Puerto Rico. So, um, and there's just so much impact around that. So much. Ay. But, yeah. okay. So there's that piece around, I'm moving next year and I have this fear that it's going to be taken from me. I have this fear that I'm not going to make it there. I have this fear that um, someone could burn my house down or, or, um, a lightning bolt is going to come and, and, and strike my house and it's going to burn. I have a fear, this constant fear, or like, I'm going to move there and the house is going to burn down. I have this fear that I'm going to lose my lands and I'm going to lose my home and I'm never going to make it so much so that, you know, I have speaking engagements that are plans like in 2024 and even some this year. And I'm like, I have to fly to them. And I have this fear of like, I don't even want to get on a plane. I don't want to do anything that is going to jeopardize me getting to that, to that, to that, to that, to the land. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that, that is for me, I have to work every day on that fear when it's like, you know, really, um, when it's really blending with me and it's really taking me over because that, that is one of the ways, just this constant fear of like, I'm going to lose my home. I'm going to lose my land because it's so important Mm. to me to reclaim it. I feel like it's, I'm going to lose it. So that's just one of the ways when it comes to rage, when it comes to like, when I feel rage is really when I interact with, um, you know, folks that, that are, that identify as white, right. Folks in white bodies that, um, are like, talking maybe not necessarily with me per se but I'm hearing them talk about the homes that they're buying in Mm. Puerto Rico and and you know what they're benefiting with the act 60 and act 22 I hear that I get rageful I get rageful because it's exploitation it is it is um taking advantage of things that that natives on the island don't really get to take advantage of right and it's and it's fueling white supremacy culture it is fueling further coloniz- colonization of the island so that gets me rageful mm-hmm. separate from that i think even like the smallest things like if i had an idea 
And then someone went and, and I shared the idea with someone and then they took the idea and they ran with it or whatever. That really hits me to my core more than I want to say disproportionately. Cause I, I have the right to be upset when someone steals intellectual property and things like that. Right. Yeah. But it hits me really deep. And I had to bring curiosity to what that was really about at the core. And it, and it's more of like, because that, that, that hits on those buttons of things are taken from me. So I get really, really like upset at my core, really hurt when things are taken from me. And I know that that connects to ancestral trauma. I know that connects to the, to, to the pain of my lineage of having things taken from me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and as you were saying that, that's what came up for me that I was like, those wounds are so, um, they're still so palpable and, and, and felt and embodied, right? You know, we really feel it. I, I can totally relate to everything you're saying. And, and especially when we talk about the, the, those tax benefits, you know, for people to be buying homes on the island and, and how difficult life already is on the island for locals and natives and, and the lack of resources, right? And then to just come in there, you know, and to me, that is that is modern day colonization, right? You know, this land was um, taken, like mm-hmm. you were saying, taken, and and the people were then exploited and murdered. And I mean, the, the, the list goes on. And yeah, I I just totally hear I feel that and um that rage is is very real. And how do you how do you move with that? Like what are do you have any practices that um you know help kind of alchemize that for you because you are this such a powerful healer and medicine woman and you know do you're doing so much in the community and and it's also like and you're still, and you still feel these things, right? Like you still also are having these very human experiences because that, because that it runs so deep, those wounds run so deep. So how does, how do you move through that? Because to me, I feel like that's also part of the decolonization within ourselves and our own minds, right? It's like, okay, I can't, I don't have to carry it. Like you say, like in your book, right? That we're going to, you know, the pain we carry, like, do we have to carry this anymore? Mm-hmm. Right. And I, one of them, and I, I, I bring it up in, in my, in that book, the pain we carry, you know, at, at one point um, when I had read uh, the book that Oprah did with Dr. Bruce Perry in her epilogue, when she talks about her mom transitioning she says, you don't have to keep the pain alive to keep the truth alive. Mm. And that stood with me because I think oftentimes we also feel like we have to hurt in order to keep the truth alive, right? That we have to hurt because our ancestors suffered. And I think it's important that we recognize where we hurt, right? And we bring curiosity. We we offer it a narrative. We get we we get really just curious about the story that this that the pain has within us, and then how do we, like you said, alchemize it, right? How do we use this 
pain, how do we transmute it to something more positive? Uh, even that, even that feels a little weird because I'm not trying to do toxic positivity, but like, right. how do, how do we use it, this to help other people mm-hmm. to help heal ourselves, to bring more awareness to our communities, right? What is, what is the message in that pain? Mm-hmm. So, you to know, be for like the me, Phoenix, right? Like to, to right. be like the Phoenix, which that's not positivity, right? Like right. it's like you're saying, but it is like this transmutation. Right, right. And so for me, you know, that looks like I know that this is the pain in in from my ancestors and I want to respect their pain and their pain is very valid. And also it's important for me if I'm going to show up in my fullness and advocate for them, I, I actually need to release this burden that I'm that I'm holding about it so that I could show up with more clarity, right? With more discerning, with more clarity, I can show up and channel them without adopting and taking on their pain. And I think oftentimes we tend to feel afraid to do that because we feel like we're, ba- you know, we're, we're, we're um, betraying our, our ancestors, right? Um, right? We have survivor's guilt. We feel like, crap, our ancestors got us to this point and now we need to atone for like, what they didn't have or whatever. And, and, and none of that is, is correct. Right. Mm-hmm. Our ancestors, the burdens that they were even holding aren't theirs. Right. Right. So right. that, that stems from again, colonization, the impact of all of that. And so how do we release that using elements of the earth? Right. Mm-hmm. How do we release that so that we can really fully embody ourselves at our core and our fullness? without the trauma while holding on to the truth right we don't have to release the truth we just don't need to hold on to the pain and the trauma that actually is doing a disservice to our bodies mm-hmm. that is actually creating ailments and medical issues to our bodies yep inflammation right. to our bodies yeah. right absolutely yeah i mean and 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 the science is really backing all of that right like these studies on toxic stress, chronic inflammation in BIPOC folks and, and the disproportionate amount of inflammation, um, that is directly linked to experiences and this, like you were saying this, these ancestral wounds. Right. And, um, I love, um, I'd love to hear about the work that you're doing. Cause I know that you've been holding these sacred retreats, um, and, and reclaiming, reclaiming my voice and roots. Right. And, and I would love to hear, cause that to me sounds like a perfect place of, of, of this alchem- alchemical process for, for women, especially. Right. Um, can you share a little bit more about, about these retreats and how, how this work, what this work looks like in, in community? Yeah, I, so um, Dr. Liliana Garcia and I are co-hosting. We just started. We want to do this annually. And so hopefully, you know, if everything aligns, we can continue to offer it annually because it just feels so important. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the purpose and the goal is for uh, BIPOC women and femmes to get together and really one process those impacts of colonization and the impacts of enslavement and the impacts of you know war and and genocide and famine and forced displacement right um 
that we are, and poverty trauma, just all of that, migration trauma, that we are having these conversations and processing this in community, processing the messages that we've internalized about ourselves, about uh, about our families, all of that, that we are having courageous conversation about all of this alongside the cultural messages that we've received today, you know, from these larger systems that do perpetuate racism and oppression, right? Like we're learning, um, we've learned and we've inherited messages around gender binary, right? And how Mm -hmm. does that impact us? How does that impact our sense of self? Um, We've inherited messages on sizeism and fat phobia and how do we then now perceive ourselves and other people that live in larger bodies uh ableism all of that right colorism how does all of this exist within us and within our communities within our families and so we're having these conversations while also at some point in our retreat we are doing a grief ritual like a reconciliation Mm -hmm. ritual which is just really I want to say interfacing, I want to say acknowledging our grief, acknowledging what we are holding and how to be in relationship with our grief, knowing that our grief makes sense, right? That our pain makes sense, that our grief makes sense. And that, and seeing how we can then release what needs to be released around that. And we do a little ritual using water um, to just notice and witness our grief because that's that's oftentimes that's just so important we don't witness our pain and we don't witness our grief wow and and so we do that during the retreat while also doing rituals to reclaim reclaim our medicine reclaim our sense of self and also sense of community and sisterhood because there's sisterhood wounds as well oh my gosh oh yes Absolutely. Wow. That's, that sounds very powerful. And, and something that it seems, it seems like it's really holding this balance of, like you said, witnessing the pain, having these um, courageous conversations, while also being in a very, while recognizing the need to, while we're doing this work, I guess, as you could say, we need to also nourish our bodies. We need to play. We need to have that balance to, to truly move these and process these things. And so you have like the community aspect and then you have this somatic aspect as well, coming together and really providing a, a, a space of transformation, which sounds, that sounds so beautiful. It is really, really powerful. And along with, we're also trying to integrate ancestral wisdom, right? Because a lot Mm -hmm. of the time when we have, when we have trauma, it blocks us from, you know, seeing ourselves and our experiences, experiencing ourselves in our fullness, but also it blocks us from like receiving our ancestral wisdom, our ancestral um, medicine. And so it, part of part of the the retreat it's called you know reclaim reclaiming my voice and roots reconnecting with soul and ancestral wisdom because mm-hmm. we want to create that connection we want to reconnect with loving ancestors known and unknown we want to facilitate that um that calling in reclaiming of that medicine whatever that is 
I love that re- that uh, reconnection that you speak about, you know, and 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 it really is about like it, creating these spaces for that to happen because in our daily life, you know, when are we make when are we going to make time for this? You know, it really does require us to to invest in ourselves to really take the leap and to just trust that, you know, we're going to be held in this sacred container of community and love and compassion for ourselves and for others. And wow, that sounds amazing. I I'll definitely be sharing that and the link for that in the notes for listeners would be really amazing to experience. And, um, and when is that happening again? Next year. That, that, yeah, that's happening May 1st to the 4th of 2024. Hopefully we do it um, every year, but one eventually at some point, um, Dr. Lidiana and I, she's also Boricua. Um, we want to hold something on the island for folks of the diaspora, Borinquen. Mm-hmm. So Boricua from the diaspora, we want to do something so that is specifically for the diaspora to really reconnect with their with their land and their ancestors. The island is calling oh, yes. for her children. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, and you're answering the call. So <laughs> I, um, it's not, you know, one of my questions for you was like, really, ha- how do we transform this pain? And, and, you know, you just spoke to it really, you just really spoke to this, like embodied, these embodied experiences and, and containers and, and, and something I love about one of the interviews you did, you spoke about uh, safe spaces versus like brave spaces. Can you share a little bit more about that? Cause I do feel like this idea of safe spaces has been so co-opted <laughs> and I'm like, and, and it's not, and it's not true either. So, um, especially, and I've, I've, I've hear a lot in, in, in even like the decolonizing circles, even in like, you know, DEI, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion is like this idea of safety and, um, and how that in itself is like, seems like this colonized perspective right mm-hmm. like um because so, like that's so subjective right? right right you know I don't know you know as much as I I want folks to be safe uh feel safe right perceive safety it's also not going to be true all of the time because we're going to get activated and sometimes when we're activated we I mean, our brain doesn't know the difference. Well, you know, we're we're here in our brainstem is saying like, oh crap, <laughs> something's right. about to go down, right? Yeah. And and it could just be a mere conversation, but it's so activating right. that it doesn't feel safe, right? So safety, I think we need to start moving away from the language of safety mm-hmm. and really just move into more of like, uh, of that kind of brave space of how can we, be together in community and have hard conversations, have courageous conversations um, and do conflict with repair, right? Where we can be activated, but also know that there is, unless something is life-threatening that's happening in that moment, it is something for us to navigate. It is that trailhead that IFS talks about, uses the word trailhead. It's a trailhead for us to follow to a wound that exists within us. Mm. How can we, how can we be with that wound and how can we speak for what needs to be spoken for, 
witness what needs to be witnessed within, right? And if repair needs to happen, how do we do that, right? Like, how do we bring more restorative justice into these spaces where we are, not that we want to fight all the time, right? But naturally, we're going to say things that we don't intend to to, to be harmful, but someone else is going to receive it that way. Right. How do we then, you know, speak for that activation within us? from a place of, you know, care, right? Also giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. And then how do we then repair? How do we navigate mm-hmm. this? Because I think a lot of the time also we tend to, you know, say, and I know I even say it, right? Find community, build community, 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 community. But if we are also not doing conflict in community, the community will just dissolve because the foundation isn't, strong enough to be to to be able to handle conflict so we Mm. have to be able to navigate these things bravely right yeah um in community if a community is not activating you then i wonder who's and what's what people pleasing is happening yeah (laughs) what what cult is that yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly exactly so we are meant to be activated and we shouldn't have to fear that activation we lean into it and say oh there's a wound right and was it Rumi that said the wound is where the light enters Mm. that that is information for us right that activation we don't have to fear that is activate it's it's information for us of things that need healing or that needs to be spoken for Mm. Mm -hmm. and I'm curious your thoughts on, you know, something that I've felt throughout my life and I see with a lot of, uh, you know, brothers and sisters of mine who are in brown and black bodies that when there is conflict and especially when we bring up, when we talk about things like race and like there is that, there's so much passion behind what's coming through that, that it can't, that there's the the person on the receiving end just can't handle it it's almost just like they shut down and it's like they become scared and 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 it's like wait no like this is just passion coming through because like I'm feeling this like how do how do we navigate that and Mm -hmm. you know and in these times where we really do need to be sitting with this uncomfort this this discomfort kind of speaking to what you were saying about conflict because because I, I do, I've found myself in those situations where like, I'm the only one in, in a room of, of white bodied folks and I'm speaking to these issues and they're like, oh, okay. Like you're getting a little too aggressive or you're, and it's like, <laughs> wait a minute here. I'm just, this is important. Like, and I, and I obviously like, I love you too. So we, we need to talk about this. Right. So it's all love, but how do we navigate that? Yeah. You know, I, I think I'm. That is a very similar struggle for me because I do talk very passionately. Um, and I have been told in the past, unfortunately, um, by someone that is white, you know, that, that I reminded this person of like their abusive parent. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. (laughs) Like, don't put me on in a category because I'm doing a call in of racism. That that's not on me. Yes, I'm saying it with passion, absolutely, because I'm because it's coming from love, right? Because it's coming from like I love 
my community, my communities, and I want them safe. And I, I don't want them, you know, being policed, uh, being profiled. I don't want any of this stuff happening for them. So yes, I'm going to speak a little bit more passionately. It doesn't mean that, you know, I, I, it doesn't mean that it's coming from a place of violence. And I think, I think my recommendation is for the folks that are receiving it like that to be really curious about the narrative that you have when black and brown folks are, are, you know, coming at you and you don't like their tone mm-hmm. because that there might be some implicit bias alive within you when you're thinking about a black or brown person speaking with you or speaking about you. It's something that they have every right to feel passionate about. You know, what, why are you expecting them to speak to you from like some Zen place, what it yeah. who, who said <laughs> that we have to talk about, you know, racism and oppression from like a Zen like place. That's just not okay. Mm-hmm. This, this, the, the passion is love mm-hmm. and that message is coming from love. And, and if someone, if a black or brown person is coming at, coming at you. And I, I say that like, cause it feels, it might feel like that for them. Um, but if they're actually coming to you, and they're actually willing to call you in, that is coming from love. Right. That is right. a gift, actually, because that is labor and that is time and energy that someone is saying to you, okay, I'm going to say this to you. For me, that that is the communication of love, right? But the invitation would be on the on the person on the receiving end is, you know, is there implicit bias that you have? Is it that you're looking at this Black person and you're saying, oh, here's the, that, the angry Black woman, trope right yeah. or the the feisty la fiery latina or whatever you know that's on you that is your trailhead for you to follow and see what about this passion feels threatening to you because that is something for you to own and i remember so i learned from somebody once the quote of like is this person being intimidating or are you intimidated mm-hmm and that is the invitation <laughs> when when you're activated because someone else's tone. Yeah, yeah, that's that's powerful. Um, and and I think as we as we get older and start to to do more of this work, you know, we're having to unlearn that that people's that people's reactions to us have actually anything to do with us, and really coming into the understanding and the and the feeling of like actually those are just reactions from the wounded parts of them. But, and that also doesn't um, negate the impact of that reaction on, on us or whoever's on that receiving end. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. And, and like you said, the impact and intention, those are all really, really powerful. And um, I, I just have seen it happen so much, you know, and especially with men, you know, especially like my, like black and brown brothers in situations where, and I think that Resma Menekin, he, he talks about this, like in a couple of interviews I've heard, and even in his book, right, about that um, when people are called in, there's like this like throat lock that happens, like in, and, and, you, and at that point, it is like dropped into the limbic system. And like, that's the, re- the reaction. So how do we like, yeah, so it's like, okay, at that point, and I wonder if it's more about, you know, creating circles that where, you know, I don't mean, I don't really know the answer. I feel like there's many ways it can happen, but it's just, 
it's just about like, it still needs to happen as uncomfortable as it is yeah. for, for us to right. really, to be the, these bridges, because we actually need all of us. And it's, and that's one thing that I feel is, is actually been pro- very problematic with a lot of the DEI work that I've seen, even like in the hospital setting is that there's like so much shaming that happens. Mm-hmm. And, and then it just, you know, everyone leaves, like all these white people leave this meeting and they're just like, they feel horrible. They're crying. Like, and it's like that now they're totally disempowered. Right. They're, they're <laughs> paralyzed and they feel that they they're scared to talk to anyone to say right. anything. And I've right. literally heard people say that, that like, mm-hmm. And, and so it's really interesting that this DEI movement, you know, I, like I have a lot of issues with because first of all, they're only hop- happening in these, within these colonized systems, right? You're seeing like corporations, healthcare, education. It's like, it's not coming from a place of heart-centered love mm-hmm. and, and really like if we're going to be decolonizing and, and calling in that ancestral wisdom and, and really tapping into our gifts, we have to create these circles of like, of accountability and also radical compassion, right. Mm -hmm. To understand like those wounds that people are carrying as descendants of colonizers. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's deep work. (laughs) A lot. Totally. And, you know, I really appreciate you weaving that in Diana because it is true. And I think it could be easy to want to shame people, right? But yeah. the reality of it is whatever shade you are, you have internalized racism. Whatever shade you are, you've internalized oppression. You've internalized ableism and the binary, right? You've internalized yeah. all of these things because we have been brought up within these systems. Yeah. So it is there. It's not a matter of if <laughs> it's right. there within all of us. And and it is our duty in varying degrees is for sure, but it is our duty to unlearn all of it. Um, shame is not helpful, right? And we know right. that Audre Lorde names it. Like we know shame is not helpful at all. That is not going to help anyone feel like they are going to want to unlearn anything. It is just going to create more protective energy. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's true for all of us. You know, I'm, I have ancestors that have been colonized, right. And enslaved. And I also have ancestors that have colonized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. And so, you know, part of my own responsibility is to make sure that I'm unlearning, to make sure to to tap into my little inner colonizer as well and say, what are we doing? Right. You know, because that that is true. I am not exempt from this. None of right. us are. Right. So, you know, that this journey is really a lifelong journey and we can't do it through shaming. We really have to do it like you named weaving that radical compassion for others, but also for ourselves. Yeah. And, and, you know, for the white folks too, I think, I mean, I've been there in, tra- in IFS trainings where, you know, we have um, program assistants that are white that really just are super silent and don't want to speak because there is, you know, um, <laughs> program assistants of color in the space yeah. and they're like afraid because they don't want to say anything wrong. Right. They don't want to, uh, whatever it is. And we're like, your silence actually hurts more. Yes. So, you know, <laughs> just come in. If you say the wrong thing, okay, let's learn, right? right. Let's learn 
together, but your silence is complicit, right? It, it's, it's, it's complacency and it's complicit. And, and we want, we want you to come in and, and try to learn. Right. And I could understand from their point of view of why also they're afraid because they're, they've probably been shamed in the past. Right. I think, yeah. ex- I think extremes are just not healthy. Yeah. And I think we really need to, again, like you're sharing, weaving in that radical compassion with accountability, right? Because love is not passive. Love is active and love is a, a verb. And hmm. and that means that we are holding ourselves accountable when we hurt people because we will. I've hurt people. Yeah. And that also we're holding other people accountable, but we're not like, oh, you know, cancel culture kind of thing. We're not doing that. We're saying, again, as much as possible, incorporating restorative justice. How do we repair? How do we repair? Because that is what is going to heal this world. Repair, repair. I love that. And also, you know, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Um, When we talk about this repair and restorative justice piece, like how much of that really uh, can we do without bringing in the spirit aspect without bringing in spirituality because I, I'm, I wonder like, you know, and I see this in, you know, as a nurse, like I, I I've seen that so much of this, this lack of spirituality, a connection to spirit from people who are, you know, working to be healers themselves or guide people into their healing journeys. I find that, that it's, you know, that we're missing a huge part of our healing if we, if we negate the spirit aspect. And so I'm curious too, like, can we really transform, you know, I, I'm, as I'm asking, like, do you, do you feel that, can we really transform this and um, come back to the spirit aspect or or can we really transform what's happening and create these circles of accountability and radical compassion without spirit, without yeah. Yeah. I'm I don't curious. Think so. yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't know how to do it. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't think so. When you, when you, for me, you know, when you integrate ancestors, ancestors and, and, and ancestral wisdom, when you integrate that, when you integrate the earth, because that is also part mm. of our healing, right? Mm-hmm. Environmental justice. That is also part of it. When you see the earth, at least from a lens of animism, you know, an indigenous wisdom, right? Earth is alive. The yeah. trees have spirits. We're all, you know, we we all have a spirit. Everything has a spirit. It's just not all necessarily human. And so when you see things, when you understand it from that lens, our healing and togetherness includes the earth, includes, you know, what folks call Pachamama, right? The sacred mother earth, Atabe. It includes that. It includes the cosmos. It includes all of it. So I just cannot see healing without spirituality. And that's different from religion. Yes. I don't aspire to religion right i am spiritual right and that means i i feel closeness with nature i feel closeness with the spirit of trees with the spirit of water with the spirit of fire and 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 they're healing mm-hmm. and they're healing medicine the healing medicine that they bring the healing the plant medicine right just yeah. the healing that 
we all have each individually, right, as human beings, but also as the other than human. So I I don't know. I, I don't, I cannot, for me, there is no full healing without incorporating and understanding things from a spirit way. Mm-hmm. from an open-hearted spiritedness on a soul level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, what you're speaking to with spirituality and I agree, you know, that's very, very different than religion um, is really more this like interconnectedness and, and realizing and, and us realizing that we're interconnected with each other, with the plants with the earth, with the waters, with the wind, with all of it, you know, with the cosmos. And, and, and once, once we can recognize that we are interconnected and that there is no separation, then, then perhaps that's the start of cultivating deeper compassion for maybe somebody that has hurt me or right. Or somebody who who comes from a lineage that has hurt my ancestors and whatnot. And really that's the deep work that's needed right now. Yeah. And I'm even thinking to, to what you're saying right now, Diana, like the compassion for also when people don't have clean water or access to water, right? When we think about everything that was happening with the, the um, Dakota pipeline, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That when we actually begin to see the earth as alive. Yes. And as part of us, we are connected with that. I, I would hope that that would shift the way that we are in relationship with the earth. That I would hope that that would shift so that we can be more in right relationship with the earth rather than extract, extract, extract from it. Right. Yeah. Yes. Greedily. Yes. And like our governments have done. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting. You spoke of this animism as well. And, and, you know, when we look at the relationship that indigenous cultures around the world have had with the earth, um, I recently have been learning about the language and that in many indigenous cultures, there were no nouns. There was Mm. just like, everything was verbs because everything is relationship. And I was just like blown away to learn that because I'm like, okay, well then that makes sense because if you're not objectifying something or like, like you said, taking this taking of resources or taking and, and that that's mine. And this is yours rather than like, no, nobody owns that. You know, the waters are the waters. Um, You know, we have to have reverence and the waters that are, are relative actually. Right. And that was just so profound to me. And then, and then one more thing that, that you're just sharing about, like that connection with the earth that made me remember a, um, a, a native brother of mine here in, um, you know, Southern California and we're in Kumeyaay territory. He was sharing that actually just last night, we went to go see this, uh, this, this documentary called common ground. I don't mm. know if you've heard of it, but it's, it's from this, this group that's introducing these farm bills to, to help farmers go regenerative so that they are no longer dependent on these imports of, um, you know, chemicals and pesticides and all, and also just for our general health of the earth and humans and all of that. It was really great. And so he was kind of leading a little panel afterwards and he, he has been, um, he's part of the red earth movement and they are, um, building these red earth clay ovens and they are bringing men around a lot of veterans, a lot of, um, incarcerated 
folks, men with severe PTSD. And he said like that, just them getting their hands in the soil and sitting around the fire and sharing and being in community with each other, like they're having profound transformations around. So powerful. Yeah. And it's just, it's so simple, right? It's like, it's like these men have, have lost all hope and, you know, whether, and have been through so much and here they are just getting their hands, you know, so they're creating like a food forest. They want to feed people and, and really bring back that community connection around the oven and the food. And, and it's just so powerful to hear the impact of, of something that seems so simple, but exactly coming to the mother, right. And serving the mother and that way. And how, when we serve her, she is just always reciprocating with so much more. So I just was like, I was just like, and you know, tears, like, this is so beautiful. And can you imagine, right? Like if we, if we had, if everyone had access to that. Mm. Mm. A different world, we would live with more, so much more love and healing and open heartedness and just more of attending to ourselves. I feel like there, there would be much more gentleness, Mm -hmm. much more gentleness. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, right. You know, I wonder how much of the, the inner conflict that we have today is because of that separation from all of the things our ancestors used to do to help them, right. We've been disconnected from all of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That brings me to, um, to another question about your own practice with uh, working with clients. And I know that you are an internal family systems therapist and trainer as well. And so I would love for you to, to share and kind of, you know, educate us on like how, how that approach that therapeutic approach is different than like maybe a modern psychology or psychotherapy approach and, Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, just a little bit more about that and, and how you're weaving in, you know, all the work that the journey that you've had with spirit and all of that, how are you weaving that into your practice? I appreciate that question very much. I feel like it's still evolving, right? It's still evolving. I, um, so I do, I mean, I've trained in, in many things, but for me, I think what has really spoken to me in in like intuitively is the parts work language is the understanding that we are not just one thing that we are many different things and that makes us who we are right and you know that understanding which is which is you know comes from um, the understanding of multiplicity, which is inspired by indigeneity, because there are indigenous groups that do, that already knew and believed we were multiple things, right? Um, and so I really appreciated the language and the understanding because it it felt like it moved away from pathologizing people. It moved away from like saying, oh, you have anxiety or you're essentially, because what we hear is I'm anxiety, right? That translates to I'm anxiety. You have depression. I am depression. Yeah. It translates to that. But with IFS, it's been a part of you feels anxious or is holding anxiety or parts of you Mm. 
are experiencing anxiety, but that is not the fullness of you, right? Right. What is it? What is your anxiety holding? What is the fear beneath your anxiety? How is your fear trying to protect you? Right. So it's become the 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 premise of it is really befriending what is going on inside of us rather than trying to push it away rather than try to exile it like we do because we've been taught to do that from our families and also from our larger culture right how do we bring curiosity and compassion and care you know and love to the parts of us that are carrying burdens right and so um and those are like what IFS names as cultural burdens, legacy burdens, which essentially is generational trauma. And then also personal burdens, like the stuff that happens directly to us, right? Sexual abuse, microaggressions, things like that. Um, the, the, the pain that happens to us when people hurt us directly. Yeah. How do we understand that in terms of, of or without trying to say like we are this trauma because we are not right. our trauma right we are not our pain we are not our trauma we are not our burdens but parts of us carry these wounds parts of us carry the memories parts of us carry that that the weight of these things right and then also go into extreme roles to try to protect us right like mm-hmm. for example my inner critic I have an inner critic I know many of us have inner critics, maybe even all of us, right? Um, I like to I like to uh jokingly say that I have a headquarter of headquarters, <laughs> like my inner critic headquarters is like a whole establishment. Yeah. Um I have like a mommy inner critic. I have like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, oh my gosh. <laughs> so it's like really there is a whole staff in there. Um <laughs> but <laughs> but inner critic at its root at its core is not meant to be an inner critic it's meant to be like a coach right this part of me that tends to to be in this extreme role of of shaming me it's not really trying to shame me it's trying to just encourage me to Mm -hmm. you know make sure I'm getting my work done make sure I'm not procrastinating make sure that I'm leading with authenticity and I'm not trying to fawn. So like it's it's making sure that I'm living in alignment with my values, right? And that I'm right. trying my best, that I'm doing my best. That really is what it's meant to do at its core, but it's so extreme because it's carrying burdens of internalized racism. It's carrying burdens of, you know, just the messages that I've heard that I, I, I'm afraid to be behind. I'm afraid to fall behind because what does that mean about me if I fall behind? Well, then maybe that means I'm done. Maybe that means that, you know, those white folks that didn't believe in me were right after all. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to be really hard on myself so that I'm never going to be able to be and fail right. and, and and be like, you know, what they thought I would be, right? Yeah. So the intention is always positive, the intentions of all of our parts are always positive, but it can wreak havoc <laughs> on, yeah. you know, the ways that we express ourselves and, and just what we carry within our bodies. Right. So that is essentially like the gist of internal family systems. And that for me has sat the best when it comes to understanding how trauma impacts us. Um, And, and then I weave in things like, 
what I'm learning around spirituality, what I'm learning about, okay, now we have these burdens. So how do we begin to release them? And how do we incorporate the earth and be in relationship with the earth and earth medicine to help us release those burdens while simultaneously reconnecting with our ancestral practices, right? Because all of it is connected. And so that has been my work. And and I'm going to, um, starting soon, I'm going to begin um, training with ancestral matters, the ancestral medicine practitioner network that oh. is led by Daniel Four, Dr. Daniel Four. I'm starting that actually this weekend. <laughs> wow. That's, can you tell us more about that? What, what is that? I've never heard of that before. I'd love to. So, um, let me see if I have the book to show you. This is, it's, it's based on the practice of this book, ancestral medicine, right? Rituals for personal and family healing. And it's essentially healing, um, providing ancestral healing in our, in our primary four lineages and how to do that, how to facilitate sessions where you Mm -hmm. are deepening, you know, the work, the ancestral healing work with, people with with you know with clients um and how to do that within folks lineages so I'm going to be learning how to do that which is very exciting um to add to my own healing but also to be able to integrate that more with IFS as well wow yes that's I I love hearing that you know you're continuing to seek these tools and, and, and really move, move through, you know, like you haven't accepted, you know, the the limitations of, of our institutions, right. And, and the education we get from them and, you know, you're, you're really moving to, to bring in so many modalities for your clients. And like you just said for yourself, I think that that's truly embodied work, you know, and because there's so many therapists that I know that are, really kind of comfortable in the, what they're doing, you know, cause they're ma- maybe they're making money and, and, and recognizing, but then recognizing that like, okay, can, can I offer more to my patients and my clients? Like, is this, is this pathologizing of, like you said, anxiety, depression, is that actually helpful? Is it hindering? And, um, you know, I think that I, that's why I, I've been so curious to, you know, chat with you too about IFS and, and how it is so different than these modern, or I guess you could say conventional psychotherapies and um, yeah, beautiful. Congratulations. That's, that sounds like it's going to be a great training. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. And I've been, I've been told like, it is going to break you more open. So I'm like, Ooh, okay. I, I think I'm ready. <laughs> I'm here for that. I'm, I'm here for ready. it all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are we ever really truly ready? Huh? Never. Yeah, right? <laughs> Never. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, and something that I am curious too about your thoughts when we're speaking about pathology, because, you know, one thing that I've noticed, especially working with children was like, um, you know, when we, when, when you diagnose someone, right. And whether it's with depression or PTSD, or how, how much, you know, cause how much of that again, like hinders their ability, right? Because now we've identified with, it becomes this identity and, and it's like, like you said, the parts work, right? Like maybe, no, it's just this part of me. I, I guess I, I feel that way around even things like, um, 
ADHD, you know, because like for me, I was, I was diagnosed with ADHD in college and, and really it was like, as I started to learn more about it, it was like, oh no, actually like I have these gifts, (laughs) like these are actually gifts and, and, and they're powerful. And if I can just kind of, if I can just learn and be supported in those gifts, um, it's not a disease. It's not something mm-hmm. that is. And so, yeah. What do you, how do you feel about that? You know, we, even when we're talking about things that might be more common among like people just kind of everyday functioning, you know, culture. Yeah. You know, I, there are folks that receive diagnoses and feel like, oh, I finally know what the issue is. Right. Mm-hmm. I finally know what the issue is. And so I could understand sometimes the need for some people to know like, okay, this is what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. And not, and not um, pathologize themselves. Right. Like right. when folks are diagnosed with autism mm-hmm. um, or, you know, ADHD or complex trauma and they're like, oh, okay, that's what it is. It's not that something's wrong with me. This is just, you know, what it is. And diagnoses can be weaponized against people, right? So it just feels, and especially when we think of the um, the racial disparities when it comes to diagnoses and who gets like the really major diagnoses, right? Like bipolar and schizophrenia and uh, delusional disorder, like things like that. Who gets right. these diagnoses? It tends to be, you know, black and brown folks, right? Yeah. You You speak to someone you know, in a, in a, in a black body. And, and they say, I'm afraid of the cops. I'm afraid that there's a cop following me, or I'm afraid, I'm afraid to leave my information because I don't want the government to store my, and folks might say, oh gosh, this person's so paranoid. Right. They have every right to be right. History has shown that they have all the right to be distrustful in the same way when it comes to medical trauma. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so you know, I, I hold both. Like I hold that sometimes diagnoses could be freeing for people and also it could be weaponizing and harmful to people. For me, no matter what, I don't diagnose because, you know, it's, it's, I I just don't really like to diagnose. Uh, And uh, also understanding that, of course, there might be a need for it and an importance on it. But for me, it's, of course you have anxiety because you're living in a system that is oppressive and racist and you are needing to work two jobs and you don't have any time for your family and you're constantly feeling the weight of capitalism on your shoulders. Yeah. 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 Your anxiety makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I don't right. want to die. I don't want to put a diagnosis when a lot of the time, the expressions of what we are holding, the, the the expressions of our pain is really rooted in in just what's coming up for us around what's happening outside, what's happening within the toxic environments that we are existing in, right? right. Of course, people are going to feel depressed right now when there's a genocide happening, mm-hmm. right? Of course, people are going to feel afraid of... Uh, seeing an ICE agent because their family has been histo- has been deported in the past or could be runs the risk of being right. So like, there's just so there's just there are reasons 
why people feel anxious and why people feel depressed, right? right. My thing is I just see a lot of um, misdiagnosing, especially within black and brown communities because, and it, t- it, it tends to be from um, white clinicians, white practitioners, because of some of that, you know, some of that lens is rooted in implicit bias. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, so- and the data is showing that, I mean, and because, you know, you're, you, you're talking about mental health, but even like when we look at the outcomes, right, of like maternal mortality among black women or, you know, just any, any sort of care, we, there is strong evidence. And, and again, we have to take the research with a grain of salt as well, that it's probably more, you know, but there is strong evidence that shows that there are better patient outcomes for when, when black and brown people are cared for by black and brown providers. Mm -hmm. And, and so essentially, you know, for baby, for pediatrics and adults. So it's like, absolutely that implicit bias training and awareness, uh, you know, is so important in, uh, among clinicians, among, among all of us really, but especially when you're caring for, for others. And that came up in, in this weekend training that, that I was doing. And so, you know, we had a conversation around implicit bias and, and it was kind of that those, those feelings around like, well, you know, okay, I kind of feel helpless. Like now I've, I got these biases or, or people don't really want to believe that they exist because they think like, oh no, we've evolved so much. And it's like, okay, well that's when it is important, like helpful to have this data to show people like, okay, well, here's the data that's like very recent. Um, but you're right. And I, and I really just appreciate you holding those two, like you were saying that sometimes the need for diagnoses, not only for the way that we have, we are interpreting um, these imbalances within ourselves to, to then be like, okay, yes, that's not me. Um, you know, and also recognizing the, the harm that that can do when we start to identify and then like the trauma bonding and all (laughs) that stuff, because then where's the incentive to get better, um, and to grow. So I just really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you so much. I mean, it's just important, right. That what I have learned is, and it's kind of going back to the pain that we were talking about earlier, like not to really over identify with the pain, right? Not to over identify with, with the diagnosis even, right? Like I, I have ADHD. I've been diagnosed with ADHD and, and I, you know, and I have parts of me that like, I don't know that it, that's like, for me, it's this trauma brain. This is what happens, right? right. This is a natural, uh, <laughs> a natural consequence. Consequence is the wrong word, but it's the, the, the word that I want to use is, but this is a, a, a it, it's going to happen, right? It's just, it's bound to happen. This is, this comes from just so much legacy of, you know, folks putting pressure on themselves and needing to produce and needing to overwork that this is the way that it manifested in me. But also I'm so much more than that. Mm -hmm. I'm so much more than, you know, an ADHD diagnosis. There's just, and in fact, I think that that makes me amazing, (laughs) right? If some folks say like, this is a superpower, right? right? That, that, that doesn't take away from me. That doesn't take away from me, right? And when it does, 
I know it's because I'm putting too much pressure on myself, right? To try to to compete with capitalism or try to keep up with capitalism that I'm I'm trying to overproduce. And that's when I begin to feel the, you know, the just all the feelings that come up for me around uh, or that are connected to ADHD. But I am so many things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are so many things. Multidimensional. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, we are. I, I'm curious to, you know, now that you are embarking on this new journey next year and, and really shifting back to Borikin and, and what is that? And, you know, if we're talking about decolonizing, like what is, what are you envisioning for your practice, for your life? And um, mm-hmm. what does that look like for you in two, you know, one year from now? What are you doing? Ah, you know, I have this vision of, you know, I want to, I want a garden. I want to plant a little garden. I, I don't, we don't have to, a garden here. Um, I want to, I want to grow. I want to grow food. I want to grow um, I want to learn how to grow food. I want to learn how to keep plants alive, Diana. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am, I, I need work. That is a growing edge for me. And I want to, so I want to learn to deepen my own relationship even more with the earth. I want to, so, so that's a big thing for me. I really want to learn how to grow my own food and, and learn how to steward the land in that way. And then I want to, I just want to dance. I just want to, I want to sign up. I want to sign up in person for my bomba classes. Yes, I was going to say bomba. (laughs) I want to, because I did it virtually, but virtually is not the same. I can't see people's feet sometimes. People can't see my feet. So (laughs) it's not the same. I want to, I want to do it in person because I also want to do it in community. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So I want to do bomba classes. I want you got to feel the sand. You got to feel the sand in yes. your toes when you're dancing. Yes, right? yes, yes, yes. And that, as you mentioned, that that is something that I want to do. For me, the ocean is so important. The ocean is so important, and I and I have no access to that here. Mm-hmm. Um, I want. I want the way I just envision like my own regeneration and rejuvenation to be by the water by the ocean right um you know my power my power animal is the freshwater turtle i did recently i and and you know akutu irka mateo right because you you, yeah um i did a journey with her recently it was actually on my birthday and you know she does she offers a a power animal Mm. offering where she she journeys and she finds your power animal and she'll tell you what your power animal is and so she let me know that my power animal is a freshwater turtle and she saw you know the turtle by the river and that is me I love the river I love the river and I love the ocean so it just feels like so spot on I want to do that I want to be able to really be by bodies of water and be by the sun and just be more outside Mm-hmm. And here I am more in hibernation. I am the bear. I hate the cold. So I just, I want to be able to let loose. I just want to be able to, you know, and speak Spanish, even though that is a colonizer language, I want to reclaim the language too, because there's grief around me not being able to fully fluently speak it. 
to my family. So I want to be able to do that and immerse my kids in it as well. I want us to, I'm going to have put my kids, kids in Bomba as well. They were before, but it was, it was virtual. So it was very difficult. So I want my kids to be in Bomba. I want them to learn. I want them to learn how to, you know, play the, play the primo. I want them to learn, like, I want us to learn all of it. I want us to reclaim all of it. So this is a journey of reclaiming. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I, I visualized all of it. I saw you guys dancing and Mm. you with your, with your plants and growing food and all of that is so special. And, and really it is reclaiming and just coming home, right? Like coming home to our hearts, coming home to our, our roots, like you said, you know, like your retreats and, and this reclamation of our own health and well, wellness and well-being, right? The way that we, our bodies know how to do it, you know? And there's something too, like about eating our ancestral foods, being in, like you were talking about the, like you hate the cold. Oh my gosh. I, me too. I, I'm like, I went to nursing school in, um, in Baltimore at Hopkins mm. and I was there for like the coldest winter. Like it was horrible. (laughs) Get me out of here. Oh my gosh. You know, so, so it's true, you know, like we thrive in these places. Like we're not supposed to be in cold weather. You're not built that way. Our DNA is literally not structured that way. So I'm so happy for you and your family. And I look forward to us connecting on the island and yes, I want to connect you. Yeah. And connect you with my sister who's there and, and, and my family too, it would just be so beautiful to keep growing the soul fam, you know? A hundred percent. I would love that. Diana. I would love that. This is, this is, you know, this is, we help heal each other and that's the mm-hmm. thing, right? We heal in community. Mm-hmm. We do not heal in isolation. We all have medicine and together that medicine is just even more potent. So I I just love it. I'm really, I'm excited. I am so excited. Yes. Yes. I am too. Very excited and can't wait to watch you keep flowing and on your journey and really integrating. I'm, I'm, it's really refreshing to, to know a therapist, a, a healer, a medicine woman like yourself, who is weaving the ancestral, the spirit with the science and with all of, you know, your education and your credentials, you know, and checking all the boxes, but yes. And right. Like you're continuously bringing these modalities in. And, and to me, that is, that is, that's the true work of a healer is that like, you're on your journey. We're never done. Right. Mm-hmm. We're never, it's not a destination. And mm-hmm. so just really honoring you and where you come from and your ancestors, our ancestors and like, you know, together and, and I'm so just happy to talk with you. And I'm curious for, you know, as we kind of, as we kind of close things out, I, I could just keep talking to you, but you know, three hours later, three hours later, but I want to honor your time as well as I, I know you have a lot going on. And, um, I really want to recommend that everybody goes out and gets Natalie's book, the pain we carry. It's, truly transformative. There's so much wisdom and nectar in there. I love how you bring in these actual practices, you know, like meditation practices, journaling practices, and it's, and it's just such a a great read. It doesn't feel like so dense, like you're reading some sort of a, like, it feels like I'm just, you know, like hearing from like a sister, you know, like, 
And, and that really resonates with me as somebody who does, has always struggled with reading books mm-hmm, and being like that, like, it's hard. It's hard for me to stay focused and, and to keep going. So, so for me to recommend this book, the book, you know, I'm, I'm super happy. I feel like it can serve so many. And so I really hope that everybody goes out there and gets your copy. I'll put a link in the show notes too, for people to get the book. Um, and Natalie, what is the best way for people to connect with your work? Like, what do you have? What I know you have the retreat coming up, so we'll put that also as well in the show notes. Um, but what do you, what do you want to share with the, with the audience about how to stay connected to your work? I, yeah, I just want to invite folks that, you know, that feel, call to that they can always find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Natalie Gutierrez LMFT. You can also, um, I have a new website. I'm very excited about it because I wanted, I wanted to kind of drop the LMFT so folks should see me as me. Um, And so, so my new website, if folks want to visit and learn more about my work, it's natalieygutierrez.com. And I'm offering groups, you know, throughout the year. One is a Latinx IFS healing circle. And another one is uh, an annual group that I've begun to offer since my book was released last year. Okay. Um, it's called The Pain We Carry. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's called The Pain We Carry Community and Reflection Practice. And it's just going through some of the exercises in the four empowerment steps of the cultural empowerment approach to healing that I talk about in the book. Mm-hmm. And we're practicing it together. Amazing. Beautiful. So those are live. Those are live offerings. In uh, virtual. Yep. Live, oh, vir- live virtual, virtual live. offerings. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Beautiful. I'll, I would love to add those links in the show notes too for, for listeners to participate because it's nice that it's accessible to the virtual space. Thank you, Diana. I just appreciate you. And I appreciate this podcast and your energy and your spirit. Mm, thank you so much. Thank you for, thank you for that reflection. I fully receive and, and, and one last note, I want to, I want to ask you to just drop us uh, some wisdom, whatever comes through, like, what is your advice to, to those white or black or brown, like what, whoever, all colors, what is your advice for us to begin this journey of decolonizing, um, specific to our health, but really in general, just, yeah. What's your advice for that? Yeah. Oof. I, what comes up for me without thinking. So I want to make sure this is from a soul led place is really to go inside take the risk and the journey and the courage to go inside and see what's hurting within you. Because when we know what's hurting within us, that really leads us to more of what's hurting within us. And we can begin to witness that healing. I think a lot of the times we've been conditioned, whatever shades we are, to exile that pain, to avoid it and numb it out. But it's time for us to really see what it is that we're feeling within. It's time for us to go there and and witness and give ourselves a witness, especially the witness that we never had. So we can begin to really, really heal at the root, at the core. Mm. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for that medicine. Thank you for your medicine and, and showing mm. up with your heart so open and your light and shining your 
bright light in in this darkness um and for being the bridge really embodying that bridge that warrior energy that we need thank so, you diana i appreciate mm, you appreciate you too and we'll look forward to having you back when whenever you want we can always play in this space and you know this is this is the point of this podcast. So mm. I welcome you to come back whenever and would love to, to dive more into your retreat and just wishing you lots of blessings on your journey in this next phase. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you so mm. much. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the decolonizing healthcare podcast with me, your host nurse D check out the show notes to connect to Natalie's work purchase her book, The Pain We Carry, look into seeing if you can make it to her retreat next year in Puerto Rico. Oh my gosh, I want to go. And so I'll have a link for all of that information for her website in the show notes. So please do check that out. Also inviting you to check out our nonprofit, my nonprofit, and um, the work that we're doing to heal the healers and really ensure that all of us are pouring from overflowing cups and nourishing ourselves, regenerating ourselves and connecting back to our vitality so that we can bridge and be the, basically do what Natalie is doing so that we can all embody that. You know, she is really, really a great example of filling your own cup. And so thank you again for that. Check us out, cultivatingself.org. And we'll see you next time.